Good afternoon everybody. Welcome to the Aslesford District Council Planning Committee meeting for Wednesday the 8th of March 2017. Some housekeeping points before we start. Should the alarm bells ring with all the public, please flock down through the double doors, the seven on the grass circle in the front where our fire officers will lead you to a place of further safety. All mobile phones should be switched to silent please. And members, we are recording and broadcasting this meeting, so make sure your microphone is on before you speak. Before we commence, um, I'd just like to draw members' attention to the fact that we have two new Democratic Services officers with us now following Maggie's leaving. And I'd ask Mr Peter Snow to introduce them to you. Thank you. Thank you, Peter, and welcome, gentlemen. Hope you enjoy your time with us. And also on the platform, we have our temporary legal officer, Elizabeth Smith, who, while under contract to the council, is hoping that when that becomes, if that becomes permanent, she will be um, a regular member of the panel. Uh, do we have any apologies for absence, Mr. Snow? Just from Thank you very much. Uh, declarations of interest, uh, members. Uh, Councillor Mills. Applicants on the last item tonight are known to me. Thank you very much. And the others? Members of the Town Council, Suffolk Warden, sir. Thank you very much. Councillor Fairhurst. Town Council, Suffolk Warden. Suffolk Warden, thank you. And the others? No, nope, thank you very much. Um, the minutes of the previous meeting were circulated. Can I sign those as a true record? <coughs> thank you very much. I shall do so. Um, now, uh, there is one agenda of change for the benefit of those listening at home and abroad. Um, item number four, uh, development at Little Maypole Thaxted, has been deferred from this month's meeting. Apart from that, we're on track for item number three, which is a officer's report from Mr Brown concerning... Minutes first. Do you have to do the minutes first? I've done those. Have you? Yeah. Also, they're all correct. Thank you. Um, it's regarding application 153537 at Saffron Walden. Thank you, Chairman. This is hopefully a very straightforward case. Members will be aware, first of all, of this particular case that it was approved 
of uh, application for five houses with a section 106 for the provision of affordable housing. Um, as members are now aware uh, that unfortunately we now can no longer seek affordable housing for developments of less than 10 dwellings, which is extremely unsatisfactory as far as officers are concerned. I'm sure they are as far as members are concerned. However, in the reality of the case is we have a section 106 here for something that is seeking that is no longer necessary. So uh, the, the request is for members to agree what's called a deed of discharge, which is basically removing uh, the, the requirements for affordable housing on this particular site. And the recommendation is to accept the deed of discharge. Thank you. Members have any queries on that? Councillor Fairhurst. Yes, Mr Chairman. Just guidance on that. If we, if we grant approval on something in terms that are valid at the time, is it then not binding as a contract? Is there not an agreement in place which we then have to upheld? Otherwise, we can change our approvals on our side as well when things get more attractive. I think the, the, the situation here was this is during the um, hiatus because originally the government put this on as a requirement. And so the, um, but there was currently at that point there was a legal challenge against it by other authorities. And so they accepted the section 106 just to allow the permission to move on. Um, but there, it was always, now it's being confirmed in terms of the, the legal challenge was, was, was thrown out. It doesn't always, it, it won't be a case of it. Had, this work, had work started on this particular site, the situation would have been slightly different. Sorry, I'm just concerned because those are the terms in which we applied and approved the contract. So I have a problem with this. It's sort of retrospective changing of agreements. Could I have a legal opinion on that, please? Yes, certainly. Uh, essentially, the position is that permission was granted in, let me see, July of last year. Uh, at that moment in time, the position was that this requirement was required, if you'll pardon the pun, as it were. Since then, a legal challenge came to fruition. Uh, ministerial guidance was changed, and as a consequence, we have, I'm assuming, had a request, Mr. Brown? We did, yes. We've had a request from the applicant that that obligation be discharged, and given the Court of Appeal judgment and the ministerial guidance, we feel that in the circumstances that request from the applicant had to be granted. There was intervention from the applicant in this case and as a result this has come back before you. Thank you very much. It's just, I'm just concerned about cans of worms because what you effectively might be saying by granting that on request is that everybody else can retrospectively go back and renegotiate when things get more attractive. Um, when we sit and address an application, we look at all the things, and 106 is one of the critical ingredients we consider when we make this approval. So I would see that as part of the deal we had, and my response here would be that if we so need to look at this, we need to relook the whole process again because the term, material term has changed. Just my view. I think that um, my reading of it <coughs> is that the government have said that condition shouldn't have been in place. So the fact that the developer hasn't started and accepted that condition, he's got the ability to appeal the fact that the condition is there. So I think that's where we stand. That's correct. Councillor Mills. Therefore, Chairman, do we not have the ability to reassess the package, if you like, in the light of the fact that that does not exist, which is exactly what Paul is saying, Mr Fairhurst? 
reassess on the on the fact of what what would what well, would we it, reassess? It was, a, it was a vital part of the planning permission that we gave because we were getting something from it which we're now not getting. So do we now not have the option to look at it anew in the light that we haven't got the affordable? We, we, we cannot, and I'll take legal advice on this, we cannot give a permission based on what we get out of it. We can only give a permission based on are we in accordance with the conditions as we see them in respect of our policies. Yeah. In, this, in this context, we had an application for five houses, which is basically phase two of development. Members visited the site, assessed the merits of the case, and, considered it, and officers and members considered it acceptable, and the necessary infrastructure for that at the time was the provision of affordable housing. Um, members you know, would have made the same discussions based upon the merits of the case, and there wouldn't have been a request for infrastructure. And so therefore that's, the, that's only the difference. And I think the fact that we've got a high haters at the time between it, you know, that first it was in, then it was out. It, was, it really was hokey-cokey. It was in, then it was out, then it was back in again. Uh, we have now got it established within the process now. Had this person been applied for planning permission again, we would not be requesting the provision of uh, affordable housing and neither could we insist upon it. And so therefore it certainly wouldn't have been a reason for refusal for its non-provision. It's a particularly unique case. We, have a f we, we don't have many cases that were approved during the hiatus period. They either were approved and 106s were, were secured and provisions were given or it was after the hiatus and it was approved without it. It's just, we just got one or two that were during the hiatus. Councillor Hicks. <coughs> Thank you, Chairman. I merely wanted to intervene to ask Mr. Brown to switch on his microphone because <laughs> we were advised it was advisable. It's not working by the sound of it. Will you not? <laughs> Apologies, is that better? Can you hear that? Yeah, I think it's my microphone. <clears throat> yeah. Is that better? Yeah. yeah. So the guidance you've got from government, um, does it actually say, that it, does it cover these scenarios where we've already agreed that they would pay a section 106? Does the government advice say that we can retroactively um, you know, do this, this deed of discharge? And secondly, probably a very naive question, I don't suppose the developers uh, volunteered any sort of contribution in lieu of uh, the fact they're not going to be bound by this? Well, the law allows you to do a deed of variation, a deed of discharge. It's a, it's a capacity within the, within, the, within the law to allow you to do that. So the government didn't have to do that because it's already there. Okay. And uh, to be honest with you, it's back down to this was the only means of infrastructure that came out of this planning application in terms of the requirement for affordable housing at the time required the provision of affordable housing contribution. There's nothing else. And so, so the, no, so the developer <coughs> has not volunteered any further contributions on this particular site. And to be honest with you, need, need, should they? Because the, the rules actually say we can't actually accept the infrastructure payments for anything less than five. And I must add, it's not just affordable housing that the, the, the rule brought in. It also covers education contributions as well. We can't seek any contributions of anything less than ten dwellings. Councillor Fairhurst. Mr Chairman, I recognise that this is something we're trying to achieve to, to, to be more um, efficient and get and expedite the process, but laws change all the time. And when we do deals, whether it's to purchase a car, a house or anything at all, we're governed by the rules of the time. 
Laws are not and cannot be retrospective by definition. What we effectively say is we are governed by a law that has now been put in, which now changes and amends our terms of a contract, which are material to our understanding. We all, I think we all agree with that. And I'm less concerned about being efficient in expediting this than I am at, at, at recognizing that we will be governed now by changes in laws that may happen in the next six or ten, next five years. I think there's a rule here. I'm happy to make an exception if it's not to open the gates to a retrocession, respective look at everyone. I remember this case well. It was, a, it was a decent application. But what we effectively say is now the rules have changed, we're now going to let everyone off the hook who, who was signed before. This, this is the can of worms, and I, I, I could never talk to I mean, We do get the uh, situation where a change in the rules is forecast, and people make applications in advance of those. Um, so the people, if they knew it was going to change, they would hold back there. Applications can change the other way. I, I think that the basic fact is um, the, you know, the government are telling us that the condition should not have been applied because of the review of the decision that was made by government. Hence the question of Councillor Riles, that, that if it had been provided for in the re review or change of the rules, then we would be guided by that. It hasn't been, and I would suggest, suggest in this, this, this forum we should reject it. We should say, sorry, those terms were, were binding on those terms, and, and we now are, are governed by new rules. Can I, can I just clarify something? <clears throat> I understand where you're coming from, because irrespective of what's been going on in terms of this particular application, there is a number of applications where affordable housing has been sought and, and sought way up to the May position. Um, we, haven't had a, we haven't had a wholesale submission of applications in this format. Um, uh, and if we did, if we had an application of, say, two years ago, which has a 106 on it, with contributions, I don't think we'd be looking at deed variations. We would be looking at, to be honest with you, a submission of a new application. I think looking at the time frame on this one, the, the, the challenge, members will be, well, they updated its practice in May 2016, and we dealt with this in July 2016. So it was actually at the time. There was this hiatus going on at exactly the same time. Um, and this was the only application that, that was actually covered by all those issues. Um, other ones, you know, so I, I don't think you're opening the floodgates. This is, case is very unique in terms of the timeliness of when this one was happening. Sorry, with all due respect, the law doesn't work like that. When the law is promulgated, we are obliged to abide by it. We can't go back and say the rules have changed. Let's live by the rules that applied in May to ourselves. It is a strict decision we have to face here. And I think you, you effectively send a signal out there that we're prepared to do this when the laws change. And it, it's not something you can support. It's supposed to be a legally binding and constant... Well, I'm going to ask our legal officer to um, come back in here, please. Thank you, Mr Chairman. If I can assist, uh, as Mr Brown said, this particular application was the only one on the books in that time period and the developer has it, as he is entitled to do applied to the council for an amendment to his application namely the discharge of the section 106 obligation and in the light of the changes in ministerial guidance he is entitled to make such an application as he's done. Thank you. Right, so, uh, Councillor Lodge. Could I ask what form the government guidance came in which, uh, which would grant us the ability to, or, or even the necessity to do this? I think the, form of the, the form of the government guidance was a ministerial statement at the time. 
It was a ministerial statement that became part of the national policy planning guidance. It became incorporated in terms of that. That's the way the MPPF works and the MPPG next to it, is you have ministerial, you know, we've got a budget today, so there could be some ministerial statements today, I'm sure, coming out to do with housing. That becomes guidance in its own right. And because it became guidance, it became uh, national planning policy which is more up-to-date than the local plan, even if you had a local plan the week before. So it's an up-to-date planning policy. And uh, that's how it works in terms of it's a, a very fluid policy. So it's, in terms of national policy, we can't seek contributions on developments less than 10. And, and that's, that's what comes out. Now, that was legally challenged. And that legal challenge has since been uh, just thrown out and, and the, the, the guidance has been re repositioned. And so that's, that's what the guidance was. Okay, but this guidance came after we had made our decision. No, the Correct. guidance came before you made the decision, but it was it currently at the time was being challenged. Ah. So that's so, the situation. So, so the government's guidance physically came before we made yep. this decision. The government guidance, mm. if I can remember, it was November 2015, wasn't it? That was that 14. Tw yeah, it was November 2014 the actual guidance came in. So you may recall that we had periods of up after that, up to the point where it was challenged and when it was still sitting there, because it was challenges and there was challenges of challenges. And so it's become very fluid in terms of how it's, in terms of our, that's what I mean by hiatus. It was put in in November 2014, it was implemented, it was challenged, and during that challenge period, it's, sometimes it's been in and sometimes it's been out. And this was a period where it was in when you were considering it because the challenge had been um, the challenge was still ongoing. And once the challenge was ongoing, the, ga the guidance was set aside. It's very, very fluid. And, by the time, and the 106 was then implemented, the 106 was then signed, and then in July, it was July, um, it was after that period where it was actually confirmed as being back in place again. So the actual guidance came in in November 2014. But to be absolutely correct, we must be governed by a local plan in the, in the absence of a local plan by the NPPF. And the NPPF is not an as-amended position, so guidances are only valid when they've been tested. So, in fact, as hiatus, this was not ruling law at the time. And when we made the decision at the time, and it was agreed by the developer, we were, we were working within the law of that time. Once it is tested, and, we, and I completely concede that today it is tested and now forms part of our reference, once it is tested, we wouldn't have made that requirement because it wouldn't have been legal to do so. When we did make the requirement, it was legal to do so. What we effectively say is that we will be governed by future changes retrospectively if it happens to suit whoever makes the application of the request. As the legal advisor said, they are entitled to make a request and their grounds are not completely spurious. But we're also entitled to evaluate in terms of our behaviour in terms of NPPF and following guidance that have been tested. So I suggest at this point now, it is opening a can of words to suggest that we're prepared to look retrospectively at things because we don't get the alternative in our favour. Right. <clears throat> Councillors, I think, yeah, Councillor Riles, you want to come back okay, in? I, mean, I think I'm we're going to have a vote on this. I think we're going to come to, come to a vote anyway. Um, yeah. But what I just wanted to ask, there, is there any other guidance out there that we should know about that is being fought over that might affect our decisions in the next few months? I don't know. Let's, let's just concentrate on what we're... Uh, there is never going to be any likelihood that contributions on more than 10 dwellings will be brought back in again. But at the moment, 
the, the government has been very solid in terms of that's where they want to go. So to the point where a legal challenge was, was very strongly and robustly defended by the government to the point whereby we are now in a position where today we can't insist upon contributions on less than five. And it's members' judgment in terms of how you deal with the, the hiatus situation. Okay, we've Councillor Chambers. Do you want me to make a recommendation? That would be uh, helpful, Councillor Chambers. Yes, Chairman, thank you. I, I recommend, I recommend the, the recommendation as set out. Thank you. Does that find a second? Uh, Councillor Hicks, thank you, too. You wish to speak, Councillor Hicks? Yeah. Um, <coughs> Your microphone was on. Your microphone was on. Put it back on. Yeah. No. You turned it off again. Did you wish to speak? No. No. Oh, fine. <laughs> right. We have a proposal to accept the recommendation to approve the deed of discharge. Thank you. Um, all those in favour, please show. Thank you. And those against? Right, that uh, application is approved. Moving on then to item number five on our agenda, application 16-3549. It's an application for full planning consent at Broxted, and Mrs Denmark will make your presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman. This is um, two applications, so we need to do two resolutions. It's um, a full application um, initially, and it relates to a site which was formerly the Whitehall Hotel in Broxted. Um, this is the site in the red line. This road here is the one that goes over to Henham. This one goes up to Thaxted. And this one goes down to the rest of the village of Broxted. The site is... Um, I seem to have lost a plan. It was there. Okay. Um, the site is made up of various aspects. Um, in the middle of the site here, you have um, Grey Two Star listed buildings, the White Hall and the Brew House. At the front of the site, um, you have a Grey Two listed barn. This is outside of the site, but you also have a Grey Two Star listed building over here and um, the Grade 2 Star Listed Church over here. And along the boundary over here, we have an independently listed um, Grade 2 listed wall. This element of the site here is a, an extension that was built in the 1980s. This element of the site here, so the red hash bit, this white bit here, and these white bits going down here are all an extension that was built in the 1990s. And I've lost my mouse. Come back. And this bit here is a single-storey building that was um, formerly staff accommodation. So the proposal is to demolish um, the link, or a section of the 1980s extension and separate that off from um, the listed building and to demolish a large section of the 1990s extension and retain this section here, which would be a single-storey unit, and 
then also to demolish, retain the roof structure, but to demolish the um, ground floor section here um, and um, retain, retain this section here as two dwellings and then this would become one dwelling. So the, the listed barn with a bit of a 1990s extension on it um, retained as one dwelling. This would become two dwellings. So we'd have plot one, the listed barn with a bit of the 1990s extension, the 1990s, part of the 1990s extension being converted into two dwellings here. The former staff accommodation becoming a dwelling here part of the 1990s extension becoming a separate dwelling here, now completely detached from the listed building here, here, which would be converted into two dwellings, and the 1980s extension would have some extensions and be converted into a dwelling. And then the southern part of the site, it's proposed to erect um, two new dwellings. There's a former swimming pool here and there's a former tennis court here. should point out there is a public right-of-way going down the side here. So this is what the elevations would look like. This is the area here where the 1980s extension part of it would be demolished and this would retain the, um, the remainder of it. It would be slightly reconfigured here and it would have an extension here and here. This is the listed building and that would be retained and that's also the listed building and then this section here is part of the 1990s extension now detached from the building and retained as a single storey dwelling which is that is the rear elevation of that one there. That is the former staff accommodation and then further down there is the remainder of the um, 1990s extension. This is the listed building and that's the 1980s extension. Um, and then this is looking sort of in sort of like the courtyard section at the back. So this is, that's the 1980s bit. <coughs> this is the listed building. That's the 1990s and that's the staff accommodation, I think. Yeah. Um, and um, some other elevations uh, that's um, plot 5 so the 1990s extension this is plots 2 and 3 so the 1990s extension linking into the listed barn at the front here this is the listed barn with the 1990s extension going out there that's the listed barn I can't read what it says under there plots one and two, I think, but that's the 1990s bit. And then that's the listed barn, and this is the front elevation of the 1990s extension that would be retained. And then this is the little bit that would be demolished as a structure in the building, but they're retaining the roof, so there'd be a walkway through there. That is the former staff accommodation and um, they're the other odd elevations that don't tie in with the um, other drawings. This, this is plot nine. This would be one of the new dwellings at the rear of the site, and that's plot 10. 
Um, it would be proposed that um, there would be each unit would have um, private-ish amenities space. It would have they would all have their own elements of amenities space. Um, but in order to retain the setting and the characteristics of the listed building, it is necessary to retain a sense of openness and um, for the gardens to remain largely open. So each plot would have their own individual private space and these gardens here would be communal gardens for um, all of the residents to use. We'd have a garage block here for serving these three plots and um, a communal store building um, here. Um, in terms of um, treatments for the, the boundaries, um, so these would be privacy screens, so not actually dividing off the, the gardens as such. And then we'd have rear, um, sorry, estate fencing around the back of the listed building. Um, post and rail fences to plots 9 and 10, the new plots at the back. Um, and this would be going along the front of the site. Um, the, there are no objections from the consultees. Um, both the councils, Conservation Officer and Historic England, are satisfied with the proposals. The proposals reinforce the prominence of listed buildings within the site. It's considered that they would not result in significant harm to the heritage assets and any harm is outweighed by the public benefits of securing a long-term viable use for the buildings. It's recommended that the application be approved subject to a variation to Condition 3 as set out in the supplementary list of representations. Thank you, Mrs Denmark. Um, we have no speakers on this, but before we go generally to members, um, for those members who weren't able to make the site visit this morning, are there any particular questions you need to ask first? Because uh, the members that did manage to visit were able to ask a great deal of questions on the, on the time. So I've got Councillor Hicks, Councillor Lodge, Councillor Freeman and Councillor Chambers who didn't get along. So who's first? Councillor Lodge. Yes, I'll go. I just wonder if we could point out the, uh, the trees which will be, uh, which will be removed. I, I know it, it mentions the types of trees, uh, but just wonder what sort of quantum and area is being cleared. Um, predominantly they're at the front of the site down here. There's um, one here and there's, I think there's a couple here, but certainly none, none of the protected trees down the back here, um, which add to the very important um, parkland setting. I haven't actually got the plan that shows the trees being removed, but generally they're down from. Councillor Chambers? Just to say, Mr Chairman, I'm sorry I wasn't there this morning, but I do know the site well, so I, I do realise what is being proposed, what's going to be taken down, what's going to change. Um, and I shall wait and hear what other members have to say. Okay, thank you. Any other comments, members? Councillor Fairhurst. 
Yes, Mr. Chairman, I think we were very impressed by today's visit. I think the chaps who were there. Um, obviously, the big issues we have with any kind of development like this is, is preservation of historic context and, and a sensitive treatment of it. Um, and quite clearly, this site has not been in use for the last five years and has fallen into disrepair. Um, it seems to me quite an extensive renovation, but the result is going to be very attractive, and I'd be very happy to, to, to recommend this as, a, as something we should be supporting. Thank you very much. Is that a proposal for... Fine, thank you very yes. much. I'll second that from the chair, if I may. Thank you. Um, in the light of no other comments... Oh, Councillor Mills, yeah. Just one thing, Chairman. Um, I understood that the um, open space area is going to be uh, communal and uh, probably then run by a management company. Um, I would just hope that that would be actually put into the document that no further development would be allowed on the site, given this application being approved. In other words, can we uh, limit that the open space would remain as open space? Uh, Mr. Mr. Brown. Mark, could you comment on well, that? Well, permitted please? development, um, it won't be the residential curtilage of any of the yeah. units as such. Um, permitted development rights within the curtilage of a listed building mean that you can't put up buildings anyways without planning permission. And so anything would need a planning application, so it would be um, unnecessary, really. Thank you. Councillor Lodge and then Councillor Fairhurst. Yes, just to, uh, to echo what Councillor Chairman said, I'm sorry I couldn't, couldn't make it this morning. I would have liked to see it. I do know the site extremely well. I've been to multiple events there. And from what I can see, uh, the proposal is a very... Is, is a sympathetic one. It's not over, over development. It looks attractive from, from the plans, and I would certainly support it. Great. Thank you. Uh, Councillor Fairhurst. Yes, Mr. Chairman. Just, just to respond to what, what Councillor Mill suggested, um, it, it might be worthwhile at least to mention that we were, we were taken by the development and, and the ambitions of development, particularly with regard to that communal land, because it gives us a sort of a, a, a place mark to remind future councils that that is what we had in mind. This is a very elegant um, um, development as far as I can see, but it does re rely on the whole, the whole design concept as it stands at the moment. And any application coming in the future which, which involved housing and things may not grasp that this, that was the objective. So it might be just something just as a, as a, as a uh, footnote. I think we can conjure up something along those lines, Mr. Brown, could we not? We could, yes. I think that's, that's a good point. Thank you. Um, before we get to a vote on this, I'd like to <coughs> recall our, the committee's thanks to Mr. Martin for making the site accessible this morning. Um, they've got considerable work in there um, for safeguarding the building and particularly the roof. And uh, despite that, we were able to have a good look around and we saw a lot of interesting features. And we took on board, I think, the, uh, the scale of the uh, undertaking. And uh, that's, uh, we'll go to the vote on this then, members. All those in favour, please show. And that application is therefore approved. And now we have the listed building application that sits alongside this. That's application 16. 3550 and again Mrs Denmark will make our presentation. This is essentially the same application without plots 9 and 10 and without the outbuildings because they don't need listed building consent and the conversion of the staff accommodation doesn't require listed building consent but all the rest of the works do. Um, so essentially I'm just looking for 
um, you to agree. The, the listed building works would be various um, alterations to internal. I mean, I've got the floor plans. There will be various internal works and changes um, to allow the conversion works to um, be undertaken. And um, you know, this will be necessary to enable the planning permission to be implemented. So it's recommended for approval as um, set out in the agenda. Thank you, Mrs. Denmark. Uh, yes, I mean the <coughs> the alterations that are necessary are uh, manifold. I think is a simple way of saying it. So um, I wouldn't expect members to be looking today at a great raft of drawings showing which bit of timber here is preserved and which can be removed, etc., etc. Um, this is going to be subject to a great deal of inspection by the listed building. Um, arm of the council so um, I'm happy to propose that we can accept the officer's recommendation is that fine seconder councillor lodge second oh right fine carry on I need a second Sorry, yes, my I'll, proposal yes yes okay I'll wait then fine thank you very much but I have a question as well, fine, which, I was, which, I was, which I nearly got in before the last vote, and it's not, it's not actually a completely relevant planning question, but it may be of interest to the committee. So if we, if we look at the site, immediately to the south of it, there is a, a triangle of land extending down to the other development, which looks from Google Maps to be very much uh, an integral part of, uh, of, of this site. It looks like it's part of the grounds. I, I just wondered if... Uh, if um, the officers had spoken to them about that and whether the, that, that was likely to be a forthcoming uh, application at a later date. Uh, I know it's not a, a relevant planning question. Well, it's, not, it's not outlined in blue as being in the same ownership. So, uh, it's not shown um, as being the same ownership. It's not outlined no. in blue. I no, maybe no it isn't. It just, if you look at Google Maps, it's absolutely an integral part of the well, site there. No, it's not an integral part of the site because it's not part of the site. If you look at Google Maps uh, from, a, from, a, from a geographical perspective, it is, it is an integral part of the site. But we saw the boundary on the site this morning, anyway. Okay. Right. Uh, we have a proposal for approval. All those in favour, please show. And also the listed building application is approved too. Thank you very much. The next item on our agenda, item 7, is a householder... Uh, full application, item, uh, agenda, application 16-3062 in High Easter, and Mr Theobald will make your presentation. Thank you, Chair. This application has been called in by Councillor Barker if the application is recommended for refusal. So uh, members uh, need to be aware of this. Now, uh, the, the site, I'll just read really from the description on the report because it says it all uh, for the um, uh, framing of this uh, proposal. Um, Pentland End comprises a Grade 2 star listed timber framed and plastered two and a half storey dwelling of 14th century origins with later additions and it's set within spacious and well maintained grounds within the open countryside to the north of High Easter Village. 
the front of the site is set mainly to lawns and access drive hard standing areas, whilst a small number of outbuildings exist to the rear of the dwelling. You can see, uh, in fact, uh, there's a Victorian uh, greenhouse on there as well. That would be apparent from the photographs. Um, also, a domestic swimming pool measuring approximately 14.4 metres by 6.7 metres with timber changing room, plant room, sided to one end, exists to the side where the dwelling, as you can see on this, on this block plan, onto the site's southwest flank boundary. The pool is enclosed along its southeastern side and along its end nearest the flank boundary by a mature and maintained three metre high conifer hedge. Open fields exist to the southwest of the site with woodland beyond. Um, I'll come on to those. Now, this is uh, what we see at the moment. We've got the open swimming pool uh, with the three metre high conifer hedge, which is screening the pool from the front of the site. You can see um, the listed pent-low pen end uh, building in the distance. This is looking the, uh, towards the southwestern boundary. You can see that the hedge uh, wraps around at right angles to the, the rear end where you've got the, uh, the Paul House uh, enclosure. Just general views of the setting of the listed building. This is in fact looking uh, down to the rear boundary of the site. No, it's bigger pardon. It's looking back up to the, um, the pool from the, the rear boundary. And this is now looking across towards the listed building. So you can get a, an idea of the, um, the context of the setting of the listed building. That's at more close quarters. This is looking across to the fields beyond the southwestern boundary. Again, looking to us towards the rear boundary. That's looking back to the swimming pool from the listed building from the courtyard at the rear of the, the building. You can't really see too much of the pool there. And this is a shot of a pent low end um, taken from the, the front driveway. Um, as you can see, it's uh, quite an uh, imposing building. Now, this householder application relates to the erection of a retractable swimming pool enclosure over the existing swimming pool. It's a telescopic affair, as you can see here. Now, the retractable cover would have a variable width of between 7.1 metres and 8 metres, an overall depth of 14.7 metres when fully extended.